Welcome to Matt Geek Gab, episode 942 for Monday, August 22nd, 2022. to Mac Geek Gab, the show where we share your tips and our tips, your cool stuff found and our cool stuff found, your questions and our answers, and sometimes even our questions, because the goal is every week when we get together for each of us to learn at least five new things. Sponsors for this episode include Collide at K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash M-G-G, where you can go and uh, you can get a swag bag for signing up. We'll talk about it's device security made simple through Slack that engages your users as opposed to alienating them. Super cool stuff. And uh, and then we've got a podcast to tell you about as well that uh, that makes some things kind of fun. We'll talk more in depth about both of those in a little bit. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fearful, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. And I, John, we have a very special guest with us today, the co-host of the number 13 aviation podcast was able to join us. This, this podcast called So There I Was. We were able to get, uh, get this person to join us today. So, th- so thank you, Anonymous Sir, for, for being here. Oh, okay. I'll tell you my name. It's Pilot Pete. <laughs> <laughs> and here in Lee, New Hampshire. Thanks for having me. And uh, so my call sign was repeat. So that's what you hear me on. Uh, that's right. Uh, so there I was. That's right. So there I was. Mm-hmm. US. This thing is starting to take off a little bit. Dave. I noticed. Uh, Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Lucky yeah. 13. There yeah, you man. go. Well, it's going to go up from, the, well, go down mm-hmm. from, from there. It'll get yeah. better from there. Let's put it that way. There you go. Yeah. Low, lower numbers, higher ratings. That's Something right. like that. That's right. <laughs> All right, oh, no, let's. We're, we're having fun. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad, man. I think it's amazing. That's it's awesome. Uh, all right, starting with uh, a quick tip from Brian eighty nine forty four in our Discord group at macgeekup slash Discord shares with us how to turn on series captions on iPhone and iPad and doing that so that you know what Siri thought you said. And that can be a very helpful thing. And turning on captions uh, allows you to do that, to add a little bit of clarity to what is going on with Siri, which at times, really smart idea. You open settings uh, on your, your iPhone or iPad. You go to Siri and search. You go to scroll down to Siri responses. And then there is a switch beside always show Siri captions. And you turn that into the on position and boom, you are good to go. So... Thank you for that, Brian. Eighty nine forty four. Good stuff. Yeah, I bet that's dangerous. <laughs> I mean, there'll be some funny stuff. <laughs> correct, correct. But but seeing you know the 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 responses and being able to get that stuff is uh, can be really helpful. So thank sure. you for sharing that, uh, Brian. Yeah, good stuff. I like it, John. We had a quick tip from Larry about uh, credit cards and, and discounts, right? Yeah, we've been talking about that lately um so larry says so speaking of getting points how about this trick to get two more percent on your apple purchases i'm sure most of you pay for your apple purchases using your apple card um because well you're an apple geek and that's what apple geeks do 
Uh, well, since you can pay for your Apple things using Apple gift cards, if you have an Amazon card, uh, first purchase an Apple gift card to send to yourself for whatever denomination. I usually go, I usually do 100 or 200 bucks and then apply it to your balance. You can also buy them in a Whole Foods, but why waste the gas? <laughs> um, I load up all my balances this way, Starbucks, Panera, et cetera. So if you feel all smug about your 3%, feel even smugger with 5%. They even have some gas cards available. Huh. And um, yeah, that's good advice. Uh, I do something similar, so I don't know. Uh, uh, BJ's is one of our uh, warehouse stores yeah. locally, and I'm a member. Um, they actually offer a discount. On all gift cards, usually two to three percent off of the face value, so that's nice. So you could do something similar because one of my credit cards also gives a discount for warehouse stores. So oh, smart stacking them up. I like this. Oh, that's that's. that's I didn't realize they did that. That's cool. I, uh, so if you use your Apple Card to buy an Amazon gift card, you get two percent off. That's what John, right, John? Mm-hmm. Pete's asking. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, Amazing. that's awesome. That's awesome. Because I know the one thing, like we drove to Florida a couple months ago and I used my Apple card. Uh, Mobile and Exxon have a deal where if you mm-hmm. use Apple Pay, you get 3% off your gasoline. And when gasoline's four fifty a gallon and more, that starts to turn into real money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been going down, though. That's that's a good thing. I'll take it. Sure. Consistently. Sure. The fact that we're happy about gas being below $4 a gallon is, is a whole other conversation. I think we've been conned, but you know, there you go. that's, uh, that's it really conned is just a bitter pill song. So I'll, I'll put the, I'll put the link for our video in the, in the show. Speaking of using our gas, I have been using, uh, iOS 16, uh, the betas on my phone. And the other day I was heading somewhere and asked it, to uh, get directions to somewhere in the middle. And it said, oh, yeah, do you want me to add a stop? And this is new. You could not previously do this with Apple Maps. And not only could you not do it with Apple Maps, you certainly couldn't do it with CarPlay and Siri. And it added the stop just fine. It worked great. So, like, you don't have to use Google Maps anymore if you want to do the multi-stop trips with, with, like, on the fly and all of that. The other thing I did... And I swear I've done I've tried this in the past with with utter failure. We were uh, coming home from somewhere. And quite frankly, we needed to find a place to pee. And I said, because for the first time in my life last Saturday, I played a gig where the there were no restrooms available at the venue. I won't get into the details, but yeah, yeah. I, like oh. there's a first time for everything. I've been playing gigs for 35 years or something. Never had that happen before. So. And we had like an hour and 15 ride home. So I was like, yeah, we're going to have to like, this is going to be uncomfortable if we don't stop to pee. So, so, you know, and, and there was supposed to be some like Dunkin' Donuts that wasn't open by the time we left. So I was like, well, let's find a McDonald's. Okay, great. And so I, I asked Siri, I said, find me McDonald's along our route. And she did and listed not only all of them and showed them on a map, but indicated the amount of time it would add to our journey, essentially what the detour would cost us to go to each of these places. And it was like, okay, well, this one's 
it, you know, the, the closest one to you at the moment, but it's going to take you, it's going to add 10 minutes to your journey. But if you go to the one that's, you know, 20 minutes away, that's only going to add three minutes to your journey or whatever. And it's like, wow. Then of course it turned out that the McDonald's we went to, the lobby was closed because there was some sort of fire. It, it added far more time to our journey. That oh, wasn't, boy. it wasn't yeah. Siri's fault, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it's re- like the, the, the improvements, the incremental improvements to maps in iOS 16 are stellar. So uh, be on the lookout for that when, whenever you add iOS 16. If you're one of the beta people, great. If you're not, you know, it's coming. So, yeah, good stuff. It's come a long way from the days where the icon drove you off a bridge. Yeah. Well, it's come a long <laughs> way. I, I, I had given up on Apple Maps, as I think many of us had. Like, pretty much people that didn't live in the San Francisco Bay Area found that Apple Maps was a disaster. And so we all used Waze or, or, or Google Maps even, uh, but I think most of us just standardized on Waze. Uh, I certainly did. And then when I got my iPhone 12, I think I got a, a 12 Pro and then went to the 12 Mini, right? Because anyway, I'm stuck in the weeds here. I think they were, they were released at different times. But anyway, whenever which, whichever 12 I got first, I decided I was going to do a just a start from scratch kind of thing. You know, I'm not going to reinstall my apps. I'm, I'm just going to start it fresh. It's been too long. And I decided I would only load the apps that I was going to use. I wasn't going to preemptively load anything on my phone. And that way I figured I would keep from, you know, crapping it up too quickly, uh, which might've worked or it probably failed. But uh, I realized after like six months, I'm like, you know what? I haven't put, any other mapping app on I'm just using the built-in Apple Maps. And that was, you know, a couple of years ago. It's been fantastic. I'm I'm really impressed with how how well Apple Maps works. Um I will point out that when many of my friends at Apple send me like d- waypoints or directions, they do so with Google Maps. I don't know what that's all about. But anyway, um, they seem to be the only ones that don't use Apple Maps. Oh, too funny. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like UPS in your application to FedEx, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I point this out to them all the time, and they, I get zero reaction or response. Oh, I'm like, I, 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 it, it's not lost on me, you know, that you're sending me these waypoints or, the, you know, these things with Google Maps, and it's, it's nothing. Poker the, face. Uh, yeah. The other thing that's cool about Maps, uh, it's been there for a while now, is that uh, like Waze used to be, or Waze I'm sure still is, I haven't used it in a while because yeah. of this, yeah. is that you can report hazards, speed checks, and accidents in Maps. Yeah, it, you can. It's not, as, it's not as widely used yet, so Correct. it's going to take user adoption, ad- adaptation, adoption, sure. adaption. Yeah, mm-hmm. both, I think. Let's butcher the language. Shall we? <laughs> it's our yeah. job. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yes, it, it's like I I wound up using Waze for something there. There was I, I can't remember why, but it was like, OK, yeah. th- like we're in a disaster here. Let's get Waze up and and see what the three different mapping apps say about routing around whatever the heck we were dealing with. And I had forgotten how cluttered Waze can be because of that. Like, it's just yeah. constant interruptions about, you know, there's this and there's this. Is it still there? Hey, by the way. Uh, so that, yeah, there's more of that data being added to Waze still or in Waze. I don't know if it's all sure. being added by Waze users or if some of it's coming from other sources, which uh, I guess is it's a blend, but yeah, Apple's <laughs> it's there, but not, it, not, it's not universally adopted yet. No. So it's, it's going to take some time. Yeah. But, yeah. So everybody listening, start using it so we can. <laughs> yeah. 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 
<laughs> yeah, they they report. I remember when you and I were traveling in California one time and it kept waves kept coming up and saying water ahead. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I, I can see that. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. There's also cars. Yeah. yeah. It's like, do people in California not know how to drive in wa- in wet conditions? So Maybe. that's a, I mean, it, I, I realize that question was asked rhetorically, but, mm-hmm. you know, they don't get nearly as much rain out there yeah. as we get here in New England. And so, yeah. you know, and, and the same was true in Texas. Like when we would get a, a a first rain after a while, and the same is true here. It's just less frequent because we get rain, you know, pretty consistently. But that, you know, first rain can make the roads really slick as it mm-hmm. sort of lifts up to all the oils that have yet to be washed yep. off. And and so that may be why it was telling us that. I don't know. But mm-hmm. I agree with you. It seemed a little it was like, oh, OK, yeah, water. Right. Got it. There it is. Yep. Yeah. So. Uh. Yeah, you yeah. want to. And then uh, Apple Maps is my okay. choice when I'm trying yeah. to navigate uh, an area I'm not familiar with. Yep. I'm like, how do I get there? And yeah, yeah, works. <laughs> yeah, it works. Yeah, no, it's great. I, you know, some, sometimes I lose my bearings and I go in the wrong direction because I thought I knew where I was going, and then I'm like, wait, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> I, I, it's obviously mapping apps are great for exactly that. I. I I use Apple Maps for almost every journey I take. Uh, short little ones like to the grocery store or whatever that's, you know, five minutes away. No, but I find it. What's the best way I can sort of relate this? Well, I'll just share it. I don't I don't. An, an analogy is not coming to me. The whole idea driving down the highway. Right. And but this is also true in just like driving in around my towns and stuff. But driving down the highway, you know, you got 25 exits to go or whatever. And the amount, once I started using GPS of any kind, you know, the, the, the standalone GPS or now, of course, it's all on our phones or our cars or whatever. Once I started using GPS of any kind, I, I noticed how much mental energy I was expending thinking about each exit and processing whether or not I needed to take that exit or if it was not yet mine. And it was like, Oh, I got 10 exits to go. Okay. Yep. Can't miss my exit. You know, this, that, and the other thing. And, and once I had GPS like that, that the entire background processing or even foreground processing of that went away. It's up to that device to tell me what I have asked it to tell me. It's not like, you know, it's not like information I couldn't see, but you know, even when I'm driving home and I know exactly where I'm going, I'll use that. And it's a much, I find myself less exhausted and, and exhausted might be the right, wrong word, depending on the length of the drive, but you know, less fatigued uh, than I am right. if I don't have the GPS running. Mm-hmm. Right. No, it's nice uh, that, you know, and what's funny is how we just kind of take that for granted. Cause, uh, yes. You know, I remember I was active duty the first time I ever saw a GPS and it was, it was about twice the size of those old brick cell phones. Right. And you turned it on and it took about three to five minutes to catch all the satellites. And then it would t- give you your latitude and longitude and you took a paper map and you plotted it. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, but that was, you know, like, wow. Okay. We're right there. That's cool. We had yeah. no idea 
that it was going to be detailed mapping in your car. For it's such a useful like, talk about killer apps, right? I mean, yeah. I I remember when the GPS satellites went up. In fact, my dad interviewed with gosh, I, the name of the company is on the tip of my tongue. That it was doing sort of the first deployment of those. But I remember he interviewed with him, and he's like, "Yeah, he didn't wind up taking the gig, but." He told me about it. And I'm like, oh, that's like really fascinating. Low orbit satellites. So you can always see where you are. I'm like, wow, OK, that's cool. And I for some reason and it, the image still comes to mind. I thought about mountain climbers like, oh, they, that's going to be great for mountain climbers. But, you know, I'm not a mountain climber, nor is anyone I know. And so sort of this, you know, thing that was useful to people over there, it, you know, it never quite hit me Uh I, but I've often said, I, you know, I'm not the type of person that sees around those corners usually. Uh, but right. It, but yeah, it's pretty, pretty fantastic what it does. And, and it has it has taken over as the primary means in aviation of navigation. Of course. You know, oh, yeah. Of course, it's still external. But um, so right. we do. It used to be years ago when I first started flying. If you were going opposite direction from another airplane, you'd see them over there to your left or right a half a mile, a mile, two miles. Sure. And now um, it. it it will split the cockpit right overhead, right underneath that sort of thing. So we actually use a thing called SLOP, strategic lateral offset program, where we will offset a mile to the right of our course. And the other guy will offset a mile to his. So we aren't hitting each other's wake turbulence, uh, blue ices and falling off the airplane, which is not really a big problem anymore, but interesting. Uh, yeah, but so it, you, you intentionally jump intentionally off the GPS your course yeah, by yeah. a mile or two miles or yeah, what what so that, and and everybody agrees to what this slop is so that right. it, it works. Well, and it's, and it's your choice. So you can go a mile, two miles. You can go zero. I mean, that's, that's okay. also considered part of the slop program. But if you're behind the guy who's 2,000 feet above you, you know, straight ahead, yeah. you're going to start, depending on your distance, you may get some weight turbulence from the guy. So, and you can, especially out in the oceanic areas, not, not over the continental U.S., you're under radar control okay. there and, and okay. most land places. But when you're out over the open ocean, you just, you can move yourself off to the side. Amazing. Yeah. That's great. So I learned like something. There you go. You learned yeah, something. <laughs> I did learn something. John, does Gary have something to teach us? Um, I think he does. So uh, Gary sent us a very nice article that talks about DuckDuckGo and why you may want to use it. What is DuckDuckGo, you may ask? What is DuckDuckGo, John? <laughs> um. In a nutshell, it basically prevents um, sites from tracking you. Um, you know how when you search for something and then all of a sudden you get ads in your feed uh, for the thing that you just searched for? Well, that's because somebody's tracking you. <laughs> so how do you prevent that? Um, you can use DuckDuckGo. So DuckDuckGo um, has both a... Um, so they have browser plugins as well as a mobile app that you can use. Um, that's, I mean, in a nutshell, that's that's what they do for you. So if you don't like being tracked, um, you know, give DuckDuckGo a peek. Um, the nice thing is that um, Safari also does this. So if you, if you go to Safari, or at least on the Mac, you'll see a little shield um on on top of the uh uh on top of the window uh if you click on that like i'm going to click on it right now and it says oh cnet.com 32 trackers prevented from profiling you 
Wow, 32? That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, if you, if you click on that also, and I'm sure DuckDuckGo offers that as well. Um, but yeah, it shows you all the, all the trackers on a particular website. So uh, if you don't want to be stalked by your browsing, um, check it out and read this article for a little more uh, information. So I swear. Oh, go ahead. I'm, I have a question, though, because I, I, you said if you don't want to be stalked by your browsing, use DuckDuckGo. I, I, I had, I've long used, I, I have no DuckDuckGo apps. I've never downloaded an app or an extension or anything. So all I've done is added uh, a set DuckDuckGo to be my default search engine. And it keep it it solves the most of the problem that you were mentioning, John. But it that's not keeping my browsing private. I rely on Safari to keep my browsing private. I rely on DuckDuckGo to keep my searching private. And and what I really like about that is I get what what I'll call mostly uninfluenced search results from DuckDuckGo. When I search on Google, I'm getting results that are like attempting to be tailored to things based on what I've, what else I've searched for. And for whatever reason, I don't like that. I, I can see where that might actually be helpful in a in like from, you know, the 10,000 foot view, you know, the, the, the more tailored they are for you, the, the more valuable they are to you. And so that could be a good thing. But for me, I, I always found it a little bit weird. And so I like DuckDuckGo, but that's the only thing I do with it is I just use it as my default search engine on my devices. And it's one of the ones Apple has built in for years um, so what it, it, I guess, I guess the, the question I have is why on my phone or on my Mac, what's the, what's the added benefit of using either the app on my phone or the browser plugin? We'll call it that. I know it's it maybe an extension is the right term, uh, on my Mac. Like what's the Delta there? That's the part I'm, I'm curious Ooh, about. Pick me. Pick oh, me. oh, Pete. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't care who answers. So, I, yeah. I, so I, I use it. On learn. I use it on my iOS devices. Okay. <laughs> and, um, the, uh, a uh, couple different things it'll do for you. First of all, on the iOS every now and then, uh, I think we've referred to it on here is looking at your data through a straw when you're on a iOS device, more so on the iPhone yeah. than on the iPad. But there's times when it's like, ah, you know, if I could, but it's serving you up a mobile site. You can tell DuckDuckGo, hey, give me the desktop site. I can do that and in Safari rent. too, though, on my yeah, phone. You can. Okay. You can, but DuckDuckGo will do that. Okay. Um, and then, uh, of course, it, it's all private browsing. Like recently, I searched for e bikes and I made the mistake of not doing it on DuckDuckGo. Got it. Dude, I can't get the e bike ads to stop. I'm served every time I log into <laughs> Facebook and Twitter and every, oh, right. man. Right. At one time, and this is this is the creepy part. One time, uh, Debbie mentioned a brand of dog food, and then just mentioned it in the kitchen while we were chatting. And then within an hour, had ads all over her computer and her phone. For and I'm like, this is creepy. Now, to, 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 again, no such thing as a coincidence, man. I'm sorry, I don't know how they're doing that, but they're doing it. I, <laughs> yeah, I like that's one yeah. of those things. Yeah. I, I, because I've experienced that too. Yeah, and. I, I am I am fairly certain my iPhone isn't listening to isn't transmitting what it hears of everything I say. I know it's listening right. to what I everything I say. Waiting for you to use the S lady or Correct. the A lady. But I'm yeah. I'm fairly confident in that. But maybe that's that's naive confidence. Maybe it's false yeah. confidence. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Google isn't getting that data from the A lady in my home. Right. Uh, right. And so. 
but I but so so I take those two things and and let's set those aside for the sake of argument as truth. They may not be. (laughs) But but then I also know that like Amazon knows what I'm going to order before I order it, not because it's listening to me, but because it knows my habits and it knows the habits of people who also do this, who fit the same profile as me. Right. And so they will move inventory around to have it as close to me as possible so that when I go and order the thing I went and ordered yesterday, they can deliver it today. Right. And and, and yeah. they, they know this. And of course they're not doing it just about me because they would lose money if they, if they did that, because they're going to guess wrong some not insignificant sure. percentage of the time, but they're going to guess right enough that if they're doing it en masse for, you know, millions of us in, in, in any given area, they get it right. And, and Amazon is a great logistics company. So, if I take those two truths, those three truths, and combine them all together, is it possible that like the the dog food companies or whoever they use for their ad targeting is doing something similar and profiling and saying, we think this person is going to need or be interested in our food on this day and let's deliver the ads because – it's creepy when you say, you know, Alpo dog food and then you see an Alpo dog food ad, but it's not creepy when you say Alpo dog food and you don't see an Alpo dog food ad. And we don't count the number of times that happens because we don't right. know. Our brains look for patterns. Because our brains look patterns. for patterns. And yeah. and so what are the, what's the how correct, how frequently correct is it? And my guess is. Not all that frequent, but it's relatively inexpensive to do a test of targeting ads, you know, those kinds of retargeting, things like that. So I've always thought it's just, okay. you guess a lot and occasionally you guess so correctly that it seems creepy, but it's probably not as sinister as we think. That's my There you go. That that may well be. I, I just know. know that when it happened, and I've seen it happen a couple times. It's not just you know, but mm-hmm. like you say, you know, you notice the pattern. You notice what so. you notice the success. You notice the sure. the positives. Not all the times they because there's times sure. when I'll get ads. You know, I'll get I'll get berated with ads for a certain thing that I know no one in my house has any interest in. Right. Right. And it's like okay, well, they you know they think I I want that I don't, but they got it wrong. Uh, but whatever, you move on. And so sure. uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't, but I don't know. I, I, yeah. I'm in the ad business. I've never heard of people talking about using that kind of like, we heard someone say this and now we target them kind of thing. Like th- yeah. there's, there's zero discussion of that. I fi- if somebody had that technology, it, it wouldn't be hidden. You well, know, yeah, right. Exactly. I get that. It's just, and here's the thing though, but it, it, here's the dog food one. I'll, I'll mention the brand just because it's sure. not. It, you know, it wasn't Alpo. It wasn't no, I counter. get it. It was, it yeah. was farmer's dog. And it's like, oh, that's pretty, oh my God, pretty, you know, pretty niche. From? Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So that came up, but, um, huh. Hey, two other quick points though, about the browser that, uh, the iOS browser, sure. duck, duck, go. Um, one is that when you're done, you can burn, you, there's a little fire icon at the bottom and you touch that and it will burn all your cookies, all your browsing history, everything you've typed into it. It completely wipes it from the phone unless you tell Duck, duck, go, hey, fireproof this website. I want to be able to come back and pick where I left off. So uh-huh. it will burn everything except what you tell it, hey, I want this. I want yeah. to be able to go back to this. So I think that's pretty useful. That's pretty cool. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. You're answering my question despite yeah. my uh, 
efforts at tangentializing this. Thank you. Yeah, no, this is good. Huh. All right. Cool. John. Here's a weird one. Yeah. The other day, I got an email from Amazon and they're like, um, yeah, did you know that your inkjet printer may be running low on magenta? And I'm like, huh? How do they even know that? Wow. But it was very specific. Like, is your I printer bought, connected to Am- to to like well is it connected to like HP or whoever made the printer and they're funneling that through to Amazon targeting you maybe it's a it's a Canon okay and, and now that I think about it yeah I think I did link it to a cloud service so maybe they picked it out of that that's why. I don't know yeah it was just kind of weird it's like yeah. how do you know specifically which one of my inks are running low. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of companies, I mean, I know companies, uh, restaurants use uh, inventory management on their refrigerators. The food mm-hmm. is going in and out and it automatically orders. Yeah. Resupply. Yeah. And they can tell when they're going to use more fish and more steak. And and uh, but there's some big brain people figuring this stuff out. It is pretty impressive. Well, there's money in it, right? You know, yeah, if, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. If they can it, sell John. If nothing else, saving money that, you know, you aren't wasting food, throwing away what's not going to get used. True. That's a fair point. Right. That, that, well, that's the pitch to the, the consumer, which in this case is a business, but right. You, yeah. you know, like that, it's like, yeah, if you, if you do this, you'll save money, but also, you know, use our service to order from and, and we've got you, you know, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship. Right. Right. So, huh. Um, any more on that guys? Okay. Uh, I will share one last thing. Uh, on this, and that's from listener Brian Monroe in the chat here says that uh, beware of DuckDuckGo these days. Huh? They are pro censorship as much as Google. And so he says there's really no difference in using DuckDuckGo versus Google. You know, traditional endpoint security tools can make your workplace feel like a surveillance state, turn users and the IT team into adversaries. Don't want that. And ultimately drive your employees to work on unsecured personal devices. This is bad news. Good news, though. It doesn't have to be this way. Our sponsor, Collide, is a device security solution built around honest security. Their philosophy is that employees aren't your biggest security risk. They're your biggest allies. And your relationship with them should be based on transparency and informed consent. So Collide works by notifying your employees of security issues via Slack and then giving them step-by-step instructions on how to resolve the issues themselves, truly making them your allies, engaging them. This is great stuff. For IT teams and security teams, Collide provides the right level of visibility for Mac, Windows, and Linux devices, and it can answer questions about your fleet security that traditional MDMs cannot. You can meet your security goals without compromising your values. Visit collide.com slash MGG to find out how. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash MGG to find out how. And if you follow that link, they'll hook you up with a goodie bag just for activating a free trial. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash MGG. And our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. Next up is another podcast you might want to check out because when it comes to covering all things tech, Boy, do we have a show for you. 
every week, This Week in Tech gives you a no-holds-barred deep dive into just how big tech influences our culture and our lives. Join Twit.tv's Leo Laporte and their ever-changing panel of journalists and experts every Sunday. Sometimes I'm even on that show as they break down and often disagree on the latest in tech. Subscribe to This Week in Tech wherever you get your podcasts. And our thanks to This Week in Tech for doing this swap with us. All right, John, you want to do some cool stuff found? I think uh, I think Drewski is the place to start, yeah? Why not? Yes. So Drewski has a good one. Um, I found a wonderful bit of freeware. Do we still use that term? Uh, I, I think, think so. so. Yeah. Um, that has helped me with my photo organizing anxiety. And anxiety is not good. No. Um, well, a little bit is, but... <laughs> um, in my experience, digital cameras and phones have been good at saving the wealth of info contained in the EXIF, exchangeable image file format, data. I'd hazard a guess that for most of us, much of that data, such as the metering mode of the, or, or the focal length, is unimportant. Um, eh, maybe. To him, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it may be for some people, especially if you're learning how to uh, take pictures properly. Uh, however, what can be of extreme importance is the photo date and time. My photos library is regularly used to verify dates and times of events that we often can't remember. They created at a modified date and time that the finder uses don't always correspond to the date and time the photo was taken. Also, if you forget to use the export unmodified original in macOS photos, the date and time data are changed, at least for videos. What better way to remember the date and time of a photo than by renaming, um, by renaming it? Um, I was ready to shell out 25 bucks for a Mac OS app to do this for me when I stumbled onto this German site, dev.de, which features this free open source app called appropriately EXIF Renamer. It works on all variety of digital photos, videos, and audio files. There are options for the format of the new file name. It flags files that have the same EXIF data, and more importantly, it doesn't disturb the original data. Very cool. Huh. Yeah. XIF, oh, thank you. Yeah, XIF Renamer from QDev.de is where it is. We've got a link in the show notes, of course, at MacGeekGov.com. Huh. Is it, the question I have, is it, is it going to goober up, that's a technical term, goober yeah. up your database in photos? I wouldn't use this on your photos library, right? right. I would just use yeah. this for folders of things you've either exported or that aren't, you gotcha. know, aren't otherwise part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good stuff. Cool. I like it. Yeah. Don't try this at home. <laughs> no, do try that at home. Just not on oh, your No, I mean, library. not in photos. Yeah, yeah exactly. Using photos at home. Yeah. <laughs> then we'll have other questions to answer. Yes, that's true. We we do like uh, being able to do this show. We don't like being the cause of the problems that allow us to do this show. So, yeah. Mike shares with us uh, two new things. He says, when you were talking about travel accessories, I have two to add. Uh, the company Hyper makes an amazing uh, gallium nitride charger. In fact, they make two of them, a small and a large. The large still being amazingly small, about the dimensions of a credit card and uh, just a little thicker than that. He says uh, uh, the large has three USB-C ports and one USB-A. The USB-C charge at 100 watts, and I've had no trouble charging a MacBook Pro, an Air, and an iPad Pro all at the same time, seemingly at something approaching full speed. 
The unique feature it touts is that it passes through an AC outlet. So uh, you plug it into the wall and then you still have an outlet that you can plug something else into. It says the part I like best and it's so often overlooked is that it fits flush against the wall. I've been to many older motels that have loose outlet switches and a charger sticks out far from the wall, especially a heavy one like the Apple laptop charger and falls right out onto the floor. I've seen this. He says these hyperchargers by being light and sitting flat to the wall. I've never had a problem with this for uh, falling out. Very cool. Yeah, I'm not sure the the hundred watt one is uh, ninety nine bucks at HyperSight. The 65-watt one is 70 bucks. That has two USB-C and one USB-A and also the pass-through. They both do this pass-through thing. They're both both listed as out of stock at HyperSight, at least at the moment we're recording this. But, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that or maybe, you know, grab one at, at a reseller like Amazon or something like that. Very cool. Huh. Thank you for sharing that, Mike. I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so good. This this gallium nitride stuff, like it makes that the space and weight of packing chargers and the, the you know the heat given off. It's like so much. It this is one of those. I mean, it's it's not a revolutionary improvement. It's an incremental improvement, but it certainly is a welcome one in my book. So, I mean, Absolutely. I, yeah, I think I've replaced pretty much everything with the the gallium nitride stuff, and I'm probably going to do it again because now that they've got them in the right form factors for me. It moving to, you know, you, you talked about this when, after your last trip, John, but now that we've all got lots of more than one USB-C device uh, that we travel with, this a.k.a., you know, a MacBook uh, and an iPad that both use USB-C, that's where it's like, OK, now I need I need all new charging gear. <laughs> so it's fine. It's fine. You know, just how it is. Yeah, but they're not going to stop at USB-C. You know, there'll be a D or some other. And that's the problem, right? What are they I gonna, guess. We, we were good with lightning for a long time. We're still good happy. with lightning. I think yeah, we're going to well, have lightning on our, uh, on, our, on our iPhones 14 as well. Sure. But, but eventually, no. But everything, you know, it's now you've got a mishmash. You used to be yeah. able to carry, you know, a, a USB lightning and then maybe a USB micro. Yeah. That was it. Now yeah. I've got four cables. And adapters. That's the way to go. The yeah, oh, the adapters, at least today. Yeah. Yeah. Having adapters for both directions, USB-C yep. to A and USB-A to C. Without those, my travel bag would be, you know, twice the size. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then actually the mic that I'm using for this show is different. The The first one was a USB-C. This one is a usb Oh, like, USB-A. Oh, like a, yeah. 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 But yeah, it's yeah. USB-C coming out on my computer. So I had to, I bought a little adapter and it works great. But uh, it's like, that's the way to do it rather than try to. Yeah. Um, yeah. You'll drive yourself crazy going the other way, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And those adapters work. Like it's, it's great. And oh, you can absolutely. get, you can get like three of them for nine bucks or something. Like it's, Absolutely. Yeah. But I, at first I thought it was USB mini, but it's not. It, there's micro yeah. There's USB, then obviously C and lightning and right. Oh yeah. Drive yourself crazy. Yep. What I ought to look for a website that puts the photos and throw, throw the link in the show notes. Oh for, yeah. For the, the yeah. USB shapes. What kind is what? Yeah. 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 That's going to do that while you guys are chit chatting about the next one. Okay, cool. Uh, Phil shares with us a, uh, something we've mentioned before, but Phil has a, a sort of a different take on it. 
he says, I want to remind us all about switch res X or switch res 10. I'm not sure which, uh, which way we're supposed to pronounce it. He says, I have an old 2011, two and a half inch, uh, two and a half inch iMac. I think it's a little bit larger than that, uh, that I've been using for music production works surprisingly well with maxed out Ram and a big SSD. Great. I add in a 32 inch LG HDR display as a second monitor to the iMac, but could only get it to display at 1920 by 1080. So things looked pretty large, not bad, but it wasn't great for displaying my uh, DAWs mixer, like Logic's mixer. Uh, so, so I came across SwitchRes 10, SwitchRes X, that gives you much more control over your monitors than our stock OS. After installation, you have to temporarily turn off system integrity protection to access more display options, but you can turn it back on after getting your display set as you like. Uh, setting it up was a bit fidgety, though. I now have my new 32-inch monitor running at its native resolution of 2560 by 1440. I think the screen refresh might be a bit lower, but for my uses, i.e. not playing games, it's been awesome. Thank you for that, Phil. Ah, very good. Yeah, I like I like this idea of using Switch Res X for that. Good call. Yeah. This is what we love about Cool Stuff Found. Not only do we learn about things, but we learn about, like... The right way to use them. So you get next, some extra life out of that old iMac because of it. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, PC McConaway in our Discord chat pre-show shared something else called Resolutionator, which uh, is from the many tricks folks. And that also adds some uh, e easy access to switching resolutions. I don't know if it requires system integrity protection to be disabled or not. So this might even be a better solution for Phil's problem or certainly an alternative solution. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for that too. This is what I love doing. This is why I love doing this show. Uh, have you run any, into anything like this over, over the years, John F. Braun? Um, no, no. Okay. Uh, next up on the cool stuff found list is listener Donna with uh, the Nix Mini 2 color sensor. It's a pocket-sized color sensor uh, that is like the eyedropper for the real world. Uh, and it, it, you know how like you can use the digital color meter on your Mac to grab the color of something on the screen and then you can, you know, apply that to whatever photo app or coloring app you're using. Well, this thing is an analog to digital color sensor it will it's like a truly just a little device that you float over things in the real world and it will show you its digital equivalents and i think it links with your phone and all of that good stuff i'm sure uh donna shares more she says uh, color is an essential part of any visual project when you find inspiration in the digital realm it's easy enough in the real world you can use the nix mini color sensor version 2 as your pocket color picker yeah very cool thank you for sharing that donna huh I've always I, I've done it with like my phone camera before, to be to be honest. And I, I think there's apps for the phone that can do it, too. But my oh, guess, awesome. my guess is they're not as calibrated as this. And this I mean, it's hard to do because lighting changes everything. Right. You know, I, I have a, In fact, I have a set of drums behind me that are silver and they don't look silver. It, they look silver very, very rarely. Uh, most of the time they look gold. Because lights are typically 
uh, filled with a lot of yellow. Rarely do we just have like, you know, 6,000 K, you know, <laughs> white light going. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it's just one of those interesting things. They, they look gold, but they are called uh, granite sparkle. So anyway, light can change things. And that can be an issue when you're trying to do this with your phone. So yeah, using a true color meter, uh, that's yeah, good stuff. That's what I like. More thoughts about any of that before we keep moving on down our cool stuff found no, list. That's nice. Yeah. I've had them do it at the paint shop. You know, you just bring yeah. a chip of paint, you know, yeah. match. <laughs> they're, they're pretty good at that. They're really they're good at that. Tech. Yeah. Yeah. Using similar tech. So. Yeah. Yes, uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, Jeremy shares a uh, pretty cool thing. It, it's called Wooger. W-O-O-J-E-R. And it is, I'm going to call it wearable sound. Uh, it, it is a, you know, our headphones certainly can, uh, it is possible to have them produce sounds as low as 20 hertz. That's what our ears typically can hear from about 20 hertz up to, at least when we're children, 20,000 hertz. Uh, as we age, that top number sort of comes down uh, rapidly. But um there's a difference between hearing 20 hertz or even 100 hertz or 80 hertz or 40 hertz uh, in your ears and feeling it in your body like you would at, say, a concert or something where, you know, that low end is being amplified. And, and for some things like the, the truly like sub low ends, like the 12 hertz to really kind of move bodies, you're not going to feel. And this Wooger thing at W-O-O-J-E-R dot com is a wearable you can wear. I think they've got a couple of versions. There's a vest and there's a strap that you can wear. And you, you put on headphones as well. And the Wooger takes care of the the low end for you. And I've never tried one, but uh, it certainly makes sense that this would offer you a much more immersive sonic experience, both for music listening, also for gaming. I could totally see where this would be. A, you know, a lot of gaming chairs will have subwoofers built into them so you can feel it. In fact, uh, you know, I'm a drummer. They, uh, as people, as more and more people move to in-ear monitors and and gave away the, the like, monitor wedge that would be, you know, down on the floor screaming at you all night, uh, you could hear a lot better and at a lot lower volume with in-ear monitors, which is a good thing, as long as you don't turn them up too much, and then that's a bad thing. But regardless of how much you turn them up, you're never going to feel that thump of, a, you know, even a 12 inch speaker next to you. And so they came up with these uh, butt shaker devices that you would clamp to your drum throne that would effectively do the same thing as this Wooger, which it, you know, just takes the the subsonic or or even the the not quite subsonic frequencies and just shakes your butt a little bit so that when you can feel the low end uh, through your throne, which is kind of a cool idea. And this takes the same thing. So, yeah, I like it. Wooger. Thanks, Jeremy. Fun stuff. Huh. Interesting, interesting. Inexpensive. What's that? <laughs> Show's getting expensive. Yeah, well, it's, cool I mean, the, the strap is 99 no, cool. bucks. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, um, the, the, uh, the, the other thing I think is $299. i am looking here back on their site. The vest is $249. So there you go. Yeah, 99 bucks for the strap, $249 for the vest. Fun stuff. All right, John, you want to take us to Roy's question, my friend? <clears throat> uh, 
jumping we'll get, ahead. We'll, we'll get into some Q&A. Well, you know, we're only jumping ahead for us. For the listeners, we're right here. We're always mm-hmm. right here. <laughs> um, but yes, jumping ahead. Roy asks, is there a way to adjust the date in a group of photos all at one time rather than to individually have to adjust the date for each photo? Um, good question. Uh, how about the thing that we mentioned earlier? EXIF renamer, I think may do it for you. Would that, would that change the date? Uh, like in the EXIF info? I thought EXIF renamer just took the date out of the EXIF info and renamed the file. Um, I think it can do both. Okay. All right. Okay. But it was a suggestion. Okay. Now the the two other tools that I have had in my um in my toolbox uh that may also do this for you. Um they're both from publicspace.net. Yep. One is called a better finder attributes. Okay. And maybe this one would be more appropriate. They also have one called a better finder rename. And from what I could see on one of the pages for one of these, it can dig into the EXIF data. Yeah, it looks like a better finder attributes. I'm looking here on their website as we're talking. It's is exactly that. In fact, there's one section that says change, add and remove EXIF, IPTC and video metadata. And you can you can tweak that as much as you your heart desires. Yeah, that's I've, I always forget about this stuff from public space, man. But they like they live in this realm. Yeah, there's an app in Setapp also called uh, Edit Image Metadata. Oh, <laughs> so and what are the odds? Sure, it's just <laughs> right on the nose there, isn't it? Yeah, right. So. It's called Edit Image Metadata. That's the name yep. of the app. That's okay. the name of the app. Yep. Meta, huh. meta Image, maybe. Meta Image. It's called Meta yeah. Image. That's yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, uh, that that sounds. <laughs> it's a, yeah, that's it's a little more better. clever. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the description is edit image metadata. It is. Yeah, I, okay. I had it backwards. Yeah, that was good. above meta image. Ah, got it. Well, it, yeah. I mean, that's the thing you would be searching for. So. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I just put in the word metadata and it was the first thing that came ah, up. Ah, very good. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll put links to both of those in the show notes. Yeah, that's good. Huh. Great stuff. Set up routinely, man. I, I need to, I need to remember, I need to make it a habit to go there first for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. They, they've cracked the code on a lot of this. It's a nice job. Well, they, yeah. I mean, it, they've, in a sense, they've solved the discovery problem as long as we remember to use them for discovery, which clearly right. you do. And John, you often do. I, I rarely do. Uh, but by curating a, a family of apps that that for the most part doesn't have a lot of duplication. And for the most part, it may not have like the cream of the crop of, of an app that does the thing because they can't negotiate the right deal with whomever that is, but it will have an app that is capable of doing the thing that you want to do and very capable. And oftentimes, you know, more capable than any of us need for those little things. And so, yeah, you just go in there and you search for, like you said, you search for metadata and you, I mean, you found an app that will do this for you. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember some, somebody a while ago asked about, um, they, they were having problems uh, dealing with PDF files. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, um, if preview doesn't work for you and Adobe's doesn't work for you, which it really should. 
Duh, right? <laughs> I, I mean, Adobe's PDF stuff's been kind of stupid over the years, if you ask me, but, mm. you know. <laughs> but, yeah, it, so I went into Setup, searched for PDF, and yeah. uh, there were numerous options. Yeah. Yeah. So Exactly. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Um, st- sticking with the photos thing, but <clears throat> from a slightly different angle, Steve asks, he says, I have a problem so far that I have had no success. I'm an avid national parks visitor. 362 out of 40, 431 visited. That's pretty good. He says, my primary photo library for my national parks photos is my iPad. Uh, it's primary and it's a 256 gig iPad. It is my primary file used more than my MacBook Air. There are more than 12,000 photos, including those of family trips. And he shows how he has albums and he has one sort of parent album called National Parks, which has like 10,000 photos in it. And then in that are nested albums for each park. So all broken out. Very nice. His problem, he says, with this uh, National Parks parent album getting so large and my grandson beginning to become efficient in iPad use, I'd like to move all of my National Park albums from the iPad Pro to my new 512 gig iPad mini that I got to use exclusively for my travels and all things national parks, uh, trip it, his stamps, all that good stuff. Uh, and I'd like to use it under a separate iCloud account. I've spent hours online with Apple support, utilizing four different advisors. Their most viable solutions are to open a national parks album on the, uh, uh, you know, on the existing iPad, but only open one of them, select all of the photos in the park, airdrop or copy those to the iPad mini and then create a new album, rename it, paste it in, drag it under the national 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 parks album, rinse and repeat 300, you know, how many parks has he visited? 362. So, you know, repeat that 361 more times. Choice B is highlight and copy all 9,000 photos, but without the album structure. He doesn't want that either. Uh, He says, I'm not sure what to do. So I'm assuming that Steven is not currently using iCloud photo library, uh, but he says he is backing up all of his photos to iCloud. And so if that's the case, he's already using iCloud storage for these photos, which means he has enough iCloud storage for these uh, photos. So I think um, if it were me, I would enable iCloud Photo Library at least temporarily to sync the two iPads with each other and making sure on both of them to check that slider, John, that is, uh, you know, download and keep originals on this device. Right. So that in the end, both of these devices will have the originals of all of these photos and your iCloud, you know, or your uh, your photos album structure. And then all you would do is turn off iCloud Photo Library on the iPad or on both of them. You could. And when you do that, it's going to ask you, do you want to keep the photos locally? And you say yes, and then it will let you. And then at that point, you're done. And if you want to log into a different iCloud account, you certainly can because the photos are staying locally on your Mac. But I'm not entirely sure why you wouldn't just want to keep using iCloud Photos throughout all of this, because why not? Like, if you're already backing them up to the cloud, why not let iCloud Photo Library do that, you know, quote unquote, backing up for you 
And then you get the syncing. And if you want to look at one of these photos on your phone, you know, it's there. You can download it. Um, all of that. So that th- that would be my that would be how I would go about solving this problem. If for some reason iCloud photo library is, you know, a- a- against one's religion, I-, I I think you can still. But I haven't tried this in a while, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think you can still plug a non iCloud photo library attached iPhone or iPad into a Mac and sync your albums bi-directionally there. But, but again, I, I, you know, it's been so long since I've done that, that I don't know. Uh, you could also try using, could you use, uh, no, I don't know that power photos does that. Um, uh, uh, amazing might do that. I don't know. Any ideas from anybody else there? I haven't done anything but photos for years. So I think, yeah. you know, there used to be, the uh, it was for everything else too, was Sanuti, which was iTunes spelled backwards. Right, right, right. But I don't even know if that's still available. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but that allowed you to access the stuff on your, on your iOS device. But I know iMazing will let you do this kind of thing. So that might be the answer. I don't know. What would you do, John? Uh, that That's what I was thinking. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Let you peek into your device. Yeah. But again, I, I you know, I, if you're already storing your backups on, on iCloud and using storage for that, it just seems to make more sense to just jump that over and, and use that same storage for iCloud photo library. And, and you get so much more out of it from there. I don't know. That's my, I'm always missing something, but that's why we do this show. And that's why you send in your notes to us at feedback at MacGeekab.com because that's how we, uh, that's how we know what you're well, where, thinking. Where? Feedback at MacGeekab.com? I think what he said is feedback at MacGeekab.com. That's correct. Uh, okay. That's correct. That's correct. Yes. Nice. Uh, all right. John, you want to talk VPNs with Don here? Um, I think so. <laughs> All right. So Don, Don asked the question, thinking of installing a VPN to protect privacy. Do you have any recommendations for best VPN and reasons and features? Will a VPN protect my emails? Um, and I'm going to kind of address this backwards. Sure. Okay with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, based on what I've seen, um, your email path should already be encrypted uh, in that they use SSL or, or TLS uh, to secure that channel. Um, so your connection to your email provider should be secure. Now, if you want to get beneath the covers, um, you can go into the terminal and type netstat, and that'll show you all your network connections, including the ones to your mail servers. And they're going to have a little dot IMAP S. And I'm going to assume that means IMAP secure. <laughs> um, and I would think it would be similar for the outgoing as well. Um, now, if you want to protect your email, another thing is, uh, though I've not been doing this, <laughs> um, you can use an S-MIME certificate if you want to sign and encrypt your emails. 
But I found administering the cert and finding a free source uh, to be quite a chore. Well, and in, um, and in order to encrypt them, you can sign them on your own. To encrypt mm-hmm. them, you need to – I mean, it depends on which direction we're talking about, but either way – you need the person with whom you are exchanging email to also participate with an S mm-hmm. cert, right? And and the same would be true for PGP. I, I uh, quite frankly, I think I think Mac PGP or Mac GPG, whatever it's called now, uh, would be the the right way for any of us to go about wanting to encrypt emails back and forth with each other. It's going to be it's a much more comprehensive and turnkey solution than the whole S mime disaster. So uh, that that's, that's what I would do, go for that. Uh, and I realize we're answering this backwards, which is fine. Uh, the, he asked about protecting email. I don't know what he means by that. Right. I so think I do. Okay. I mean, we, we well, there's I, no way we, we each have our own guesses. John's guess was about yeah. the transport and maybe the encryption of the email. Your guess, Pete, is? I, I just assumed that my email was always in the clear. I, maybe I'm wrong. I just assumed my, my password and username was going to my mail server in the clear. No. And therefore being VPNed up, which was the way to go. So No, it's not. Yeah, it, it's, it's not okay. as in the clear as you would think so long as you're doing what John mentioned which is using uh, SSL for the transport of your, uh, you know, of all of your email, which by default, most of us are. You These days, you'd have to go out of your way to use email okay. in the clear. So almost certainly so clients, Thunderbird, MacMail are all going to be SSL. And all the servers are going to be SSL. Sure. And all the clients will attempt SSL by default and only fall back to not SSL, it, it, you know, there. But. But again, that might not be what our listener uh, was asking, right? You know, he might. What I took away from the question. Yeah, that's. that's, Yeah, he might. He might not want the people on the network, the people who manage any network he's on to know where his email is stored. And and that would certainly be seen when you go to connect, even if you connect securely to, say, Google's server. You're, you're connecting very obviously to Google server. They can't see what's being sent, but they can see the type of data that's being sent. They can see that you're connecting on an email port, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So it, it all and and stored on your computer and more importantly, stored on the recipient's computer. Your email is stored in the clear and very, you know, like the, <laughs> the, the protecting email in transit sort of pales. Uh, in comparison to the fact that it's going to be stored forever in the clear on the other end and potentially stored uh, in the clear or at least, you know, in the clear once a subpoena arrives at your email server, too. And so, you know, right. encrypting it via John's methods, you know, with SMIME or GPG or whatever PGP would be the right thing. So but we don't know what that means. Uh Shall we move to the VPN part of the question here? Sure. Um, So option number one, uh, if you have a Synology, which I don't know if you do, but if you do, they offer a VPN server, which is what I personally mainly use. So that's one option. But 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 the other that is only that won't protect 
the activity from his network. That's only for if you're somewhere else and want mm-hmm. VPN from like Starbucks or a hotel or something like that. You're VPNing into your house. But right. everything you do, everything you do from your house can be seen by your ISP because you're not using a VPN for your outbound yep. stuff. So just mm-hmm. just making sure everybody understands. No, thanks. Yeah, thanks yeah, yeah. for clarifying. Yeah. Um, outside of that, um, we have a friend who overanalyzed uh, VPN offerings. Um, so we're going to point you to Allison Sheridan's 2022 VPN research for Mac users. She distilled down. She went through everything Consumer Reports did mm-hmm. and uh, and and sort of distilled that down to four. Uh, and those four are Mulvad, Private Internet Access, iVPN and Mozilla VPN. And she did this just back in May of this year. So like this is super current. And she went through. I think it wound up being like 7000 words or something like this, but but she she distilled it all down. And came up with a series of criteria, which she explains and uh, ranked the criteria and then went about uh, evaluating each of these uh, VPN services and came up with, you know, the bottom line where she tallied everything up and came up with the fact that private Internet access scored the, the highest by far. And. Some of these things in no particular order are platform availability turns itself on automatically on untrusted networks. Easy to figure out how to trust a network, family sharing price speed. Uh, You can have it on enough devices, local network access. Is it pretty? Is it fiddly? Those things are important. She tallied it all up. Private Internet access won by a landslide. And we had a conversation about this back when she did this. And and I switched immediately after after reading this. I had you know I'd had ExpressVPN that I'd been using, and it was like, oh okay, well this is easy. And I think I was able to get three years of PIA for I don't know uh, seventy nine bucks or something like that, ninety nine bucks. It's like okay, well that's plus three months. Uh, so. Pete, Pete, you just cut out, but I think you said plus three months free oh, or something. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I think they usually it's three months free in addition to that. And that's then right. the other thing that I noted was. When you renew, it's more expensive. So let it expire for a day and go in as a new customer. Ah, all right. Well, we'll all have to remember that in three years and yeah. three months. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. And then the other thing that I noticed about that recently, it is getting really granular, which server you use. Uh, when you're overseas, you can choose cities in Italy. Uh, you can choose various. It used to just be USA East, USA Streaming East, USA West, USA South. Now it's New Hampshire, Vermont. Connecticut, uh, Maine. So they they have got a ton more servers out there, and uh, and I haven't noticed much of a speed hit. There's some. If you do a speed test with and without, you're going to get some hit, but not significant. I mean, it's well over 100 megabits. And I'm not con. Yeah, it like I have found testing here on you know my home network is a, a I've got gigabit fiber right, and I have found. Like with the the ones that I was testing with private internet access, I was getting over 300 megabits per second in both directions. So for most people's connections, that's faster than what your, right. you know, your cable connection. If you got a 250 down and 10 up or something, well, you ain't going to have any, pro- like 
PIA is not your bottleneck, right? right? And even for me here, so technically a bottleneck, but I mean, 300 up and down is more than enough. I, I have my, my gigabit connection because I want plenty of upstream. I want more than 10 megabits of upstream, which is sort of the most I could get from Comcast. I guess I can get 40 from them, but I wanted more of that because I, I upload big, huge video and audio files all the time. Um, so, but 300 megabits is fine. Most servers, I will tell you, as someone with gigabit, symmetrical it is rare that i connect to anything other than a speed test server that will either let me send or send to me faster than a couple of hundred megabits like the the 500 megabit symmetrical plan for me would be would make zero difference other than it being but i think that's the problem is like consolidated only charges five bucks a month less or something for that so it's not worth (laughs) it's not worth it Yeah. yeah yeah Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I've been very happy with private internet access. I, and there are some others I've been wanting to test. I want to test out Nord. That was, I'm, I'm, I don't know why that didn't come up on Allison's list, but um, it's like, it's not there at all. So that that's another one I'm, I'm curious to test out, but, because uh, I know quite a few people who have had good luck with that um, over the years as well. It, it, also, there's like an ownership thing with the VPNs. Like, they're... Most of them are many of them are all owned by the same country company in like Russia or something. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> but I don't know what that Allison means. is a retired engineer and she approached it with an engineer's mind. So, yeah. Yeah. She was very granular. It was awesome. <laughs> I would say she's a, you're correct that she is a retired yeah. engineer. Called calling her a recovering engineer would would be incorrect. She is still very much an active engineer. She's just not uh, working for the company that she used to work for. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. More on this one. Um, Go ahead, John. Yeah. The one that I still like um, and works for me is Tunnel Bear. Uh, The reason that I like them. And I don't know where they came up in in her analysis, but what I like about them is that they have apps for everything. Uh, Mac, Windows, iPhone, iPad, Android, browser extensions. Um, And also, it'll make you appear to come from different areas if you need to do that, because some things... I remember when I was trying to access uh, BBC content. um, They're like go away you're not in this country and it's like oh man it's like when they black out sports events same thing <laughs> sure mm. uh i'm looking at the price here so tunnel bears quite a bit more expensive than pia so you might want to switch just to save some money allison did mention tunnel bear well she did not mention tunnel bear she quoted consumer reports mentioning them Saying uh, at some point, uh, only IVPN, Mozilla VPN, Mulvad, uh, and TunnelBear accurately represent their services and technology without any broad sweeping or potentially misleading statements. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I think my guess is pricing sort of kept TunnelBear out of it because uh, they're they're pretty expensive. It's like I don't know forty bucks a year or something, which I mean that's you know. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Yeah, I usually manage to get away um, with the the, so they give you a certain amount of free data. They give you 500 megs a month for free. That's right. Yeah. Or 
500 megs total now. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we'll, yeah, we'll put a link in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and uh, I like the bear. Of course. There you go. All right. Um, let's move. You mentioned Synology there as a way of creating an inbound, inbound VPN for yourself. Listener Mace has a question. He says, I am currently, I currently have my tunes on my MacBook and it must be powered up for the music to play from my Sonos devices. I also have a portable plug-in drive for carbon copy cloner and a second one for time machine backups. Whenever I perform the, uh, I, I do them whenever the, it's been X number of days since your last backup nag gets to me. So I'm looking for an always on network device that I can carbon copy clone to uh, time machine to and store tunes on for Sonos and Apple music. My first Googles brought me to a product comparison with devices in the $400 range. That's a little steep for me, considering I don't know anything about how to configure it once I get it. So um, I am, as you all know, a big fan of the Synology NASs. The, the, the thing about getting a network storage device, like Mace already knows three things that he wants to do with it right out of the gate. And those are three good things to do and, and three very good reasons to go and get a NAS. Something always on on your network that can sort of be this thing that you do stuff with is great. Uh, most people, and I would venture to say almost anyone who actively listens to this show will likely wind up looking to do more with their uh, device once you get it. And so – uh, he was looking for, you know, what's a what's a good entry level model. So for me, entry level is two drives. Synology definitely sells, at least in the past, has sold one drive models. I figure if you're going to bother to do this, start with two drives. That way, at least you've got some fault tolerance. And if a drive dies, you, you know, you're not losing your data. And there's three of them that I would go with. I'm going to list all three on our site. And in fact, I've built a little URL that will compare all three of them for you so that you can uh, you can take a look on your own. But they range from the DS220J at $187 up through the DS218 play for $230 and the DS220 Plus uh, for $300. And the, uh, the lowest end one has 512 megs of RAM, the DS218 play for an extra of $43, has the same CPU, but doubles the RAM up to a gigabyte. That will make file sharing quite a bit faster. And then the, the top of this particular line that I've created is the 220J at 300 bucks. That adds a Celeron processor, doubles the RAM again to two gigs with the ability to expand to six, bring support for BTRFS, which is Synology's APFS-like file system and more. That That's that's sort of the, the, the top of the, well, it's not the top of the line of the two bays, but it's the top of the line of the entry-level two bays. But, um, I, you know, if you're just looking to get started, even that DS220J at 187 bucks really isn't a bad place to begin. Um, the lack of support for BTRFS would be the thing that would give me the most pause only because I know how I am. And so I project that onto all of you, but I, I know I'm wrong. Uh, I know that 
eventually I would want to have more storage than just the two drives that are in there. And Synology is cool because if you, you know, you have your two bay Synology, you use that for a couple of years and then you're like, great, I want to move up to a you know five bay or four bay or six bay or something, eight bay, whatever. The coolest part is you can take those two drives out of your original one, put them in one with two or more bays and all of your files, all your configuration, everything comes with. And so once you get to that point, you're going to want to be on BTRFS and you're not going to be able to if you don't start that way. So you'd have to, you know, rebuild your volume and sort of go through all of that. So that, that would be the only reason. But I don't know. You need to decide for yourself if that's the reason to spend an extra hundred and thirteen dollars. If it is, do it. Uh, I don't think you'll be upset about it. If it's not, don't do it. And I also don't think you'll be upset about it. Uh, so it, it really comes down to that. But I would say one of those three for entry level, you could certainly go and, and get the, you know, the 720 plus or whatever it is that's, you know, also two bays and has way more uh, computing power and, and all of that. But I, I don't I don't think it's going to make a difference for you out of the gate. And you want to get yourself started, get your feet wet and not spend a fortune. And this is the way to do it. So, so Dave, I have a question then. Yeah, Are any of the three or four bay drives within 50 bucks of these two bay drives? No. And, you know, would it be worth just going to the three bay or four bay to start and only putting two bays in mm-hmm. and then go as you need it? So, I mean, I think that would be my approach for expandability, but. That's not a bad idea. And the the answer is no. I think you're even at the top end, probably a hundred bucks or 150 bucks away. So, you know, you're, you're talking about tripling the price uh, okay. pretty quickly to yeah. get, you know, and, and, and that's, I think what Mace was finding. So, you know, if you want to get your feet wet, the, the, the one of those three is, is not a bad place to start, but if you've got, I mean, if you've got the extra cash and you want to future proof a little, then yeah, absolutely get you know get one of the the four four or six bay ones, the five bay ones. I um, I'm lamenting the the lack of the DS fifteen twenty plus in the product line, uh, and 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 I'm also lamenting the lack of anything released since twenty twenty not having a GPU in it. Um, yeah. I've been using the 1522 plus, and as I said, it, it seems to hold up okay for transcoding, but it doesn't have a GPU, so it can't do quote unquote hardware transcoding. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still not sure how I feel about that. I, what I, what worries me is the direction of that. You know, if there hasn't been a product release since 2020 with a GPU does that mean that Synology is not the right brand five years from now to be using for our media libraries? Because it's kind of a, an easy way to make a NAS friendly to all of that transcoding that we at times sure. are going to want. Yeah. You know, so like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm asking, I'm asking questions of get them on the somebody. horn and get them a virtual fist shake, Dave. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, yeah, I, I, I you know those guys, right? I do. No, I have, yeah. a, I have a call scheduled with them coming up to, to ask that specific question. Yeah. And I will, I'll, um, I'll report back what I, what I find. Yeah. 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 So. Cause I was amazed at the support that I got. I had a, a file corruption issue uh, three months ago or so. Yeah. And you know, it's a seven year old 
drive and I didn't get any pushback from them. Yeah, that's old. It's out of warranty. None of that. They right. scanned it and they went, oh, you got a corrupt file. We got this. Yep. Boom. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which which model are you running these days? Is that is it the nine twenty John? Is that what your is that your kind of your your primary one the nine twenty plus or whatever it is? Is that right? Uh, yes, nine eighteen. Nine eighteen. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then the one below it is a DS. I can't quite make it out. But, but is the nine eighteen your primary? Um, I kind of split workloads. Across the two. Okay. Which one do you have your media library on? Um, the one that's below it. Oh. Again, I can't see the Interesting. It's a, it's a six bay. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Cool. Fascinating. Yeah, I was looking at the processors and, and yeah, so like, for example, uh, Plex, when it's doing uh, uh, the potential for transcoding, I wanted to put on the machine that had the uh, beefier processor. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay, yeah. So yeah, yeah okay, yeah, yeah. If you, it, it's that's the right, that's the right decision. <laughs> yeah. All right, folks. Well, that brings us to the end of our our fun little time together here this week. I hope you learned your five new things. I definitely learned my five. It's fascinating stuff. Yeah, it's a good show. Thanks. Good stuff. Yeah. Congrats again on your show, Pilot Pete. So there I was. Thank you. Yeah, it's, we're having a ball. Yeah, absolutely. The show that came out yesterday, wildest landing in naval aviation history, bar none. And we talked to the crew that did it. So. I can't wait to listen. Yeah. Can't wait. All right. Cool. John, you got anything else to share with them as as we uh, as we begin to head out for the week? Mm, no. Okay. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. Thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thanks to Collide at K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash M-G-G for sponsoring the show. Thanks to Twit for doing the swap with us. Thanks to all of you for sending in all your tips and your questions and just listening to the show. That's really, it's amazing. We are humble stewards and very, very thankful to be able to do this all the time for all of us. John, I think I was the one that started us off today. Do you have anything to finish us off, my friend? Well, I'm going to end it oh. with some advice, and that is don't get caught. Made up. Hey, if you're at Podcast Movement this week, look us up. John and I will be there. <laughs>